Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to another edition of the Pro Wrestling Index right here on the Anfield Index Podcast Network. It's been a long time, so I remind everybody who may have forgotten, I am your host, Matt Polsky, alongside my co-host and co-commentating colleague from across the pond, Mo Chatra is back as well. Mo, how are you doing, my old friend? <laughs> I'm doing fantastically well. We're reunited. We um, it feels yeah, so, so good. Yeah, no brand split where the Pro Wrestling Index is concerned. We're uh, a <laughs> united front once again. And yeah, uh, yeah glad to be back and uh, glad to be talking wrestling and sports entertainment with you, Matt Spolsky. Yeah, we have a lot to cover. A lot has happened um, since you and I last spoke to each other here on this podcast. We are just a week away from SmackDown going live on the USA Network here in the States. Tuesday night live. It'll be two hours live every single week. Uh, and one of the first things I want to point out about that is that means R.I.P. SmackDown spoilers. Uh, there'll be no more SmackDown spoilers for everybody, and I know that's going to upset some of our friends on the dirt sheets, but SmackDown will be live starting next week. And with it, there will also be a draft because these brands are being split. Now, we're going to talk about those drafts, um, that draft, and uh, some of our picks potentially on the show this week. So, um before we get into that, why don't we go back, turn the clock back just a little bit, Mo, and recap some of the things that we saw from Monday Night Raw leading into uh, this new period in WWE that's coming next week. Uh, we saw a battle royal to determine the number one contender for the IC champion. Uh, we saw Vince McMahon uh, make his arrival. We saw uh, Titus O'Neil in action against Heath Slater. We saw uh, what we talked about off-air as a potential copy of the final deletion between the Wyatts and uh, New Day. And we also found out that there will be two commissioners and two general managers for these respective brands. So those are just some of the highlights from Monday Night Raw. What, what stood out to you uh, from this past week? 
Well, as a general point, I would say that this was very much a filler show, um, even though they had the big angle at the end with the return of Vince McMahon. Um, it wasn't really a show that they were going to throw much out there in terms of uh, notable happenings. Clearly, that's all planned for next week uh, when there'll be uh, shitloads of very, very significant things going on on both Raw and SmackDown um, as they establish the brand split. And um, you know there'll be plenty of talking points. Um, so this was very much um, a treading the water type of three hours. And uh, it wasn't a bad show. It wasn't a good show. It was just a show. <laughs> to paraphrase Roman Reigns. Um, in terms of highlights, um, I like the fact that they opened with something slightly different to begin with uh, a 70-man battle royal to determine a number one contender for the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, it was a surprise winner with Darren Young, um, emerging victorious. Um, certainly didn't peg him as a likely winner of the battle royal. Um, but once we were down to the final three or four, I thought, oh, God, are they actually going to give us Darren Young as a winner? And sure enough, they did. Um, and, you know, as interesting as that was, the highlight by far was um, Bob Backlund getting hyper excited um, that his new protege um, had won the battle royal. So that means that we've now got, uh, uh, well, perhaps less an exciting feud between Darren Young and the Miz to look forward to. Um, but depending on how the brand split goes, that might last all of one week. We might see the payoff only um, in a few days' time on Raw. Um, so, you know, this could either last uh, less than a week or it could last uh, a number of weeks. So that, that was one highlight. Um, the other thing that was also quite different to what we'd normally see was um, – as you mentioned, the final deletion type inspired <laughs> angle uh, between the New Day and uh, the Wyatt family, whereby, as you might recall from last week's Raw, uh, Bray Wyatt called out the New Day and said, come down to our compound and let's see what you've got. So um, they went down, did the New Day, and uh, it was a bit weird in the way it was all filmed in that um, – it was uh, very much edited. Um, it wasn't like um, a kind of a continuous uh, kind of vignette. And um, the way it was filmed was, was very much in keeping with the whole Wyatt family kind of character and dynamics. Um, so it, it wasn't as good as the whole Matt Hardy, Jeff Hardy, Final Deletion um, match presentation from last week's Impact, um, which was... Another thing that's actually divided opinion, um, but that that's that's a separate matter. Um, but it was different, you know. That's what I like: the fact that at last, creative were doing something that's outside the box, something that's not predictable. And some people really liked it; some people thought it was awful. Um, but most people, if not all people, had an opinion one way or the other. So I commend the WWE creative team for at least trying something that they don't normally present on, on Raw. Uh, so that was another thing that I, I quite um, enjoyed seeing in, in a roundabout way. And then, of course, we had the big angle at the end with Vince McMahon's return where he announced um, commissioners, not general managers, but commissioners for Raw and SmackDown with Stephanie McMahon being named as the sole commissioner of Raw 
and the commissioner of SmackDown, needless to say, was named as Shane. So um, that was that was all set up quite well, and there was some teasing going on throughout the Raw um, episode with um, uh, some dissension between uh, brother and sister. Obviously, in the last few weeks, they've been shown as generally getting along, but um, that, that certainly fell by the wayside during these three hours. And um, it ended with a, a slap, um, as we normally see from Steph, um, which uh, Shane took took like a man and uh, returned it with a kiss on the cheek to Stephanie. So, um, you know, it's game on, as, as he said. And uh, Steph said, well, there's only one game in this business and I'm married to him. So, yes, um, that, that was perhaps a teaser for the return of... Uh, someone else, uh, namely Triple H. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was um, obviously an eventful finish to the show with one um, being named as Commissioner of Raw, one as the Commissioner of SmackDown, with Raw going to Stephanie and SmackDown going to Shane McMahon. But um, the big stuff, the important stuff, the noteworthy stuff is all really being lined up for next week. Yeah. And um, can I just go on the record and say that I am not a fan of Triple H being back in an authority role on Raw again? Not a fan of that at all. I like Triple H, but I'm not a fan of that. Uh, I think there are a lot of different directions, unique directions that you could go in. Uh, Like, for example, let's talk about SmackDown. The rumor is that Daniel Bryan uh, will, in fact, be the guy who's in charge over there. I like that. I think it's a fresh approach. Uh, but the uh, the Triple H thing, it feels too much like been there, done that for me. Oh, God, yeah. I totally agree. Um, you know, the whole Steph Triple H authority angle has been done to death ten times over. Nobody wants to see that. Um, you know, Triple H still has plenty to offer, but just not in that role. There's nothing further they can do that will be interesting or original. Um, they They need to do something different. You know, one of the things that they've been teasing since January has been um, dissension between Shane and Triple H. And I think that, that, you know, longer term, they perhaps need to be looking at um, building to a match between the two, possibly even for WrestleMania. Uh, but for that to happen, um, you'd have to say that Triple H would probably have to be um, allocated to SmackDown. Um, obviously, if he's allocated to Raw then it'd be difficult to see how that would work. Um, and that would certainly make the whole Triple H character um, slightly more interesting than it has been in the last couple of years uh, because, as you say, it's it's a whole thing that's been done to death and uh, you know we, we need to see something different now. Yeah, agreed 100%. Uh, let's talk about uh, these brand splits in general, uh, Raw and SmackDown. Now, I think both of us have sort of a – a short list in front of us or a general idea of, of who we'd like to see go where or perhaps uh, who we think will go where uh, and on these brand splits. Before we get into that, though, uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks on the show, a couple of weeks ago on the show when we were last together. Uh, should there be a specific world champion for each brand? It looks like that's what's going to happen. Uh, I've said from the very beginning I'm not a fan of it. Have you changed your mind on that at all? I firmly believe that the only way to make this brand split work properly is to have distinct champions for Raw and for SmackDown. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it, 
when we had split champions in the past, I was not I was not a big fan, I've got to admit, but I think part of the reason why the brand's extension, as it was called back then, ultimately failed is because there was too much of a cross-pollination of talent across Raw and SmackDown. There was not enough of a differentiation. And the whole reason the brand extension was created in the first place was the WWE trying to recreate the Monday Night Wars. Um, they had, you know, arguably their best time creatively um, during the Attitude Era. And part of the reason for that, or a lot of the reason for that, is because they had this competition um, from Eric Bischoff and WCW. And they felt that after that disappeared in 2001, uh, there was something missing. And uh, they tried to recreate that. And for a short time, um, it, it was it seemed to be working. I mean, there was enough differentiation between Raw and SmackDown to say that, okay, these are different types of shows. And uh, certainly when Paul Heyman was um, in charge, I think that was after the brand split from memory, um, you know, on SmackDown. I, I thought that was a really good show. And uh, I think it, for it to work properly, they've got to split them apart. So on the odd occasions, such as a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam, where there might be the potential for cross-brand matches, it's a really big deal. If they're happening every single week on Raw and SmackDown, where Raw guy or SmackDown guy wrestling each other, um, that whole split becomes, for me, meaningless. So to extend that logic then, Therefore, there has to be separate champions for Raw and for SmackDown. Um, it, it's not ideal, but um, for it to work, they've got to stay as far apart and as separate as they can be. Let me ask you this, um, because I, this hasn't been explained to me yet. So correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know whether or not they have uh, they have said how this is going to work. But um, is it possible for you to draft a tag team as a whole? Or are these talents going to be drafted individually? And what I mean by that is, uh, can you draft the club or can you only draft one or the other? Can you draft the entire New Day or can you only draft members of the New Day? Uh, I'm wondering how that's going to work. My understanding is, uh, and I don't think they've made it explicitly clear on TV, uh, but my understanding is, is that um, like in the past with these types of drafts, um, there is a potential for tag teams to be split up. Um, so in, in that Given that, I think it will be individuals that be drafted rather than tag teams. And that seems to be confirmed by the WWE website. Um, I, I was on there earlier on before the podcast um, checking out their fantasy draft page and all the tag teams are split up individually. So you can't draft any tag team as a collective um, onto Raw or SmackDown. So... Um, I, I do believe it's going to be individuals. So we could very well see uh, Big Cass and Enzo um, splitting over Raw and SmackDown or any other team for that matter. So uh, I just hope that the end result is that the better teams uh, stay together and some of the teams that are perhaps trading water and not really going anywhere, like the Dudleys, for example, uh, you know, maybe maybe a split might do them good. Yeah, I mean, I, I could I could definitely see an incarnation of the Bully Ray character uh, singles, perhaps on SmackDown. Um, okay, so um, why don't we do this? Top five, top six. Why don't we do top six of our picks? If we were in control of this and we could control who we were going to put on Raw and who we were going to put on SmackDown, 
why don't we do this and 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 break this down? Um, uh, why, here, here's what we'll do. We'll start with Monday Night Raw uh, with our top six picks uh, on the board. Who would we put there? And uh, just a couple of quick reasons why. So why don't we start with with your list for Monday Night Raw? If you were in control of Raw, Mo, where are you going with this thing? If I was in control of Raw, my aim to Raw in terms of its uh, kind of its kind of uh, dynamic would be more around uh, appealing to the mainstream audience, mm. and so it's more about um, characters and personalities rather than necessarily uh, those that are. Uh, better workers in the ring, but perhaps less strong on the personality or promo side. So therefore, John Cena has to be uh, the number one draft pick for Raw. Um, and that's not to say he's um, not a capable worker or a great worker. He's, of course, a fantastic worker these days. Um, but he's the most recognizable um, face of the WWE that there is. Um, you know, he presented the SB's awards um, this week. And, uh, you know, he's, he's certainly uh, a mainstream name nowadays. So, you know, he has to be um, still a, fa- a face and a feature of the flagship sh- flagship show, which is Raw. So John Cena is certainly one of them. OK, great. Um, I, I Here's what I got to say about that. John Cena has a place for me. And that place for me would be at the top of my SmackDown draft and I'll, I'll get I'll get I'll get there in a minute but what I'll say about that is I feel like John Cena at 39 years of age needs a slight reinvention of himself and I am looking at Smackdown a show that will be called by the same man who's calling the cruiserweight classic right now Mauro Ronaldo as a show that's going to be based more on I think legitimate competition and a little bit more on appealing to an alternative more hardcore wrestling audience than the mainstream appeal that you'd be looking for from Monday Night Raw. And while I think John Cena would fit that mold, I think John Cena both is looking to perhaps reinvent himself a little bit. And I think having John Cena on SmackDown Live gives a reason for other people to come over there uh, and watch the show as well. So for me, I think Cena would be at the top of my SmackDown list. Um, Here's who I would draft first for Monday Night Raw. And that's the guy that I was convinced a year ago was the future of the WWE, and I'm still convinced is the future. And that's Seth Rollins. Uh, you know, you, <laughs> uh, Dean Ambrose is having his his time right now, and that's nice. Roman Reigns is, of course, going to come back from uh, from his suspension, and I'm sure at some point in the not too distant future they'll try and make him the guy once again. I'm still waiting to see whether I can get a confirmation on that Road to Redemption story. Uh, of Roman Reigns or not on the WWE Network. But Seth Rollins, for me, is the future of this company. Seth Rollins is is the next Shawn Michaels type. And I think you have to have a young, energetic, uh, mainstream star to lead Monday Night Raw into the future. And I think Seth Rollins is the guy to do it. And I also say that because I think you got to have Roman Reigns uh, on, on that list as well because uh, this is a guy that, you know, as you said, Raw, no matter how they want to present it, is still going to be their flagship show because it's always been their flagship show. And so they're going to have Roman Reigns on there. And the Reigns and Rollins rivalry, I don't think, is going to be ending anytime soon if the company has anything to say about it. So for me, Rollins has got to be my number one pick. Wow, okay. Um, 
He was my number one pick for SmackDown. Oh. <laughs> so we've gone completely polar opposites with these number one picks then. Uh, my reasoning for Rollins is the sorry, Rollins is the uh, number one pick for SmackDown is probably because I think that SmackDown has to be um, the promotion that appeals more to the hardcore viewers um, and therefore needs to be one that emphasizes um, the in-ring product to a greater extent. And, you know, I've waxed lyrical in the past about uh, Seth Rollins. Uh, before his injury, I, I, I was calling him the best worker in the business. And, um, you know, he's yet to hit that fifth gear, the top gear um, since his return. But I think it'll only be a matter of time before he's knocking it out of the park and having those fantastic matches that we became accustomed to seeing from Seth Rollins. So for me, um, if that's the kind of direction that SmackDown needs to go with Raw being the more mainstream um, orientated type of show, um, then for me, Rollins has to be the face of SmackDown. And uh, I also think that um, the other thing I'd like SmackDown to be is a slightly more edgy and a slightly more adult oriented or sorry, orientated show, uh, which has a little bit more risque um, content in terms of promos and angles um, than perhaps Raw will feature. So again, somebody like Seth Rollins, I think, can fit really well into that kind of uh, environment. And Cena as a baby face for me just wouldn't really be a neat fit into that kind of uh, direction. I look at SmackDown uh, kind of similar to, to the way that you look at it. I, I don't know if the, if the word edgy is what I would probably use. More more or less, I'd say I'm going to look at SmackDown, if, if this is the way they, they present, certainly the way I would, as more of a competition-based show, whereas Raw would be a more character-based show. I see Cena at the top of that because I think Cena's mainstream appeal could help the SmackDown brand as a live show on Tuesday nights. But I also think that his business with AJ Styles is far from being unfinished, and AJ is my number two pick for SmackDown. So I think, um, and if we are to believe that there'll be two titles uh, at some point in, you know, very soon, you'd have to imagine AJ Styles is going to get his hand on one of those two, and uh, a Styles Cena feud for the SmackDown title, I think, would make perfect sense. Um, a couple of other names on my list. Let me just run down my SmackDown list real quick. Um. So number one, I have Cena. Number two, I would draft Styles. Number three, this is a real sleeper pick right here. If you if you want this show to really appeal to hardcore fans, then my number three pick is Shinsuke Nakamura. Wow. Shinsuke Nakamura knocks it out of the ballpark for me at number three. And it went, once you hear some of the other names on my list, I think you'll understand where I'm going with here. Number four, a guy who's and, – and this guy could be drafted higher. But there are a few reasons why he wouldn't be drafted higher. Number one, because his future is uncertain. And number two, because we don't see him as often. But if you want a competition-based program, Brock Lesnar. You got to put Brock on SmackDown. And the reason why is because Brock in a feud with AJ, Brock in another feud with Cena, Brock in another in a feud for the first time ever with Shinsuke Nakamura, all those things would be incredible. And, of course, the man I would draft fifth is the man he will be facing at SummerSlam, Randy Orton. So there's a top five for you right there. Rounding it out, number six, one more name that I don't think is on a lot of people's top five or top six lists, 
Samoa Joe. There is a draft right there that puts SmackDown right in the conversation and gets people to watch every single Tuesday night. You're not going to see Brock all the time, but you know Brock is going to be exclusive to that SmackDown brand, which opens him to opportunities with feuds, the likes of Randy Orton, AJ Styles, John Cena, Nakamura, and even Samoa Joe. Hmm. I like that thinking. I like it. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, in terms of my um, top six for SmackDown, then in addition to Rollins, I've got, and in no particular order, um, Ambrose, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, AJ Styles, and Shinsuke Nakamura. Ah, okay. And the reason being is that, as I say, um, this for me needs to be the promotion that's based on presenting the hottest matches in wrestling. And, you know, Nakamura, AJ Styles, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, um, Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins, fantastic workers, all of them. And imagine these guys with tag matches, six-man singles matches, along with um, some of the best younger talents from NXT. Um, they would just be fantastic. And the other thing is these are also younger than some of the other more established names, likes of uh, Cena and Orton and others. So, um, you know, this would kind of, again, fit with that kind of whole dynamic I'm trying to kind of push SmackDown in, which is about having that, slightly edgier i know you don't like the word edgier but uh, that kind of um slightly more adult orientated uh product which for me would be more aimed at the younger adult audience because you know you've got to bear in mind the average age of the viewer for raw is about 41 42 years of age um so i think that they need to be doing something with one of the two shows that tries to appeal more to a younger audience you know to you know, teenagers and guys and girls in the early twenties. Um, you know, that, that, you know, it certainly for advertisers is, um, you know, prime demographics trying to appeal to. Um, so I think to do that, they need to have more, uh, younger talents. And, uh, that's why I've, I've gone with, uh, that as my top six for, for SmackDown. Uh, whereas for raw, it's, um, a slightly more established kind of group of guys, um, with Cena, Roman Reigns, Randy Orton, The Miz. So I'd, I'd look to push him up and have him in a more prominent role because I think he certainly deserves it. I think some of his work over the last 12 months has been you know, very impressive. And uh, as a personality, he really stands out. Um, I would also have um, Bray Wyatt as another prominent top six uh, member of the raw roster. And I would then look to have um, Bubba Ray Dudley as a singles um, competitor. And they probably won't allow him to be called bully Ray because they hate using other people's good ideas. Um, So they might keep him as Bubba Ray Dudley. um, But as long as he can uh, present himself in a way that's much more similar to the Bully Ray character we saw in TNA, then I'll be absolutely delighted because I thought that was a fantastic character, really, really superb. And I think he's absolutely wasted um, as almost like a tribute act to himself um, by doing this Dudley's uh, tag team with, with Devon. So um, I'd, I'd like to see that happen. 
And um, I think he could be a really valuable member of the roster um, even still. So so that would be my top six for Raw. And, you know, even though I talk about work rate, et cetera, um, and SmackDown being stronger, um, you know, those six in their own right are all you know very talented. So, so that would be my top six. And, I mean, we talked about Brock and Triple H and others. For me, those are part-time talents that will come and go, you know, um, in and around the bigger shows. So for me, I'd have um, Brock and Triple H on SmackDown, Rock and Undertaker allocated to Raw. And obviously the difficulty there is, is that Brock um, is lined up to face Orton at um, SummerSlam. Um, So I've got Orton on Raw, Brock to SmackDown. Um, But for me, once that match has taken place, um, then Brock can be situated full-time over on the SmackDown side. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and and we and we don't know, you know, still whether or not Triple H is going to end up taking that uh, that authority role. Authority role. Gosh, I don't want to see the authority again. Um, oh, please. You know, but but on, on the terms of um, with SmackDown, I'd like to see SmackDown be an edgier show. I just don't know whether or not WWE will go in that direction. I think I think as a writer over there, you can get away with more if you are writing the show or if the show is being planned or presented in a way that's more competition based uh, than being able to say it's going to be more more adult themed. But when you say the average age of the Raw viewers, 41 or 42, that's a shocking number. If you really think about it, it's a shocking number because the product has drifted towards children so much in the last 10, 12, 14 years that it's incredible that still even though that's the appeal that people over 40 in mass are watching the show. I can't quite compute why. Well, um, I, I guess the only explanation is um, because it's more of a family-friendly show, um, the likes of the children's parents and even their grandparents are um, sitting down and watching this show with them. Um, because you know, if you watch um, a lot of tv in prime time um you know there's certain aspects of those shows which um you know family members will feel uncomfortable watching with their children um so these days um surprisingly raw is a show that can usually be watched by um, all members of the family um so that perhaps explains why though there might be a fair number of children watching um their parents and even grandparents are sitting down with them um, to enjoy the show. And also the other thing to note is, is that that the show is on a Monday night. And um, once we're going into second, particularly the third hours, uh, you'd like to think there won't be many children watching at that time. So again, that will perhaps skew the numbers. That said though, um, during the attitude era, when raw um, and SmackDown were attracting more viewers, um, the average age of, the views was, um, I think, in the early 20s, early to mid-20s. It was considerably uh, younger, and, and yet it was an adult-themed product. Absolutely. So it's sort um, of the opposite in demographics. Yes, indeed. Bad language, um, side views, misogynistic stuff, left, right, and center. Um, it was, it was um, you know, completely different to what we see these days and not aimed at children whatsoever, and yet... Uh, children watching in record numbers, far, far more children watching Raw and SmackDown in the late 90s and early noughties than do these days. 
Um, and yet the irony is that the WWE um, tries to aim its product squarely at that audience these days, and uh, that audience is, is, is less interested in the product. So go figure. Yeah. Uh, well, let me run down my my top six for Raw very quickly. Obviously, Seth Rollins, number one. Reigns would be number two. Um, I have Kevin Owens or Dean Ambrose pretty much interchangeably at the three or four spot. Um, I have Charlotte in my top six as well. And there's an honorable mention here that I think will still find his way into Raw, but uh, Charlotte just edges him out because I think the women's division will be featured on Raw. And that is Finn Balor. At some point, this guy has to be called up to one of the two main rosters now. And I think Finn Balor will find himself on Monday Night Raw. Um, here's two Dark Horse candidates, though, that I have for both brands. For Raw, Asuka. Okay. Now, Asuka and Charlotte, I think at some point in the future, or Asuka and Sasha Banks some point in the future, would be very good television. And I think we would see that on Monday Night Raw. Uh, on SmackDown, Kata Abushi. Wow. Yeah, I like it. Um, that's exactly my thinking, actually. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very much of the opinion that the Raw brand has to be um, the brand for the women on the roster. And I wouldn't like to see the female split over Raw and SmackDown. And the reason for that is I don't think there's enough depth um, on the roster um, for the two um, rosters, Raw and SmackDown, to feature women's divisions. Um, you know, currently it's working well, I think, in that um, we've got this dominant champion and she's had several um, contenders face off against her um, since she became champion earlier in the year. And I think that wouldn't work quite as well if we had two female champions on Raw and SmackDown um, because there aren't enough strong characters um, that are over with the audience for that to work. So for me, Raw would have to be um, the brand that would feature the female division and, um, you know, as well as the talent that we've already got on the main roster, um, certainly a call-up for Bailey is well in order. And as you say, Asuka is another one that has shown that she's more than capable of stepping up. Arguably the best worker um, at female work in the whole promotion, whether it's NXT or the main roster. Um, she's extremely talented, you know, fantastic worker. And she can have some superb matches with Charlotte, Sasha Banks, um, Bailey on the main roster as well. And, um, you know, she, she would certainly be a, a very interesting character to add to uh, what would be a kind of character uh, focused uh, brand in Raw and uh, that would work really well and for me to compensate for that on the other side I like to see the Cruiserweight division on um, Smackdown now the clear thing is we're just in the uh, early stages of the Cruiserweight Classic which we'll come on to later on but um, once that's done I'd like to see a fully fledged Cruiserweight, cruiserweight division and again for me that would work better on one of the brands and SmackDown again as that more work rate themed and work rate orientated brand uh, would be the ideal home for that. And the only other division that then left is the tag team division. And that's a division that I think would actually be 
fine split over both Raw and SmackDown. So what I'm saying there is that I'd like to see um, a a pair of tag team titles, one for Raw, one for SmackDown. And um, I think there's enough teams um, across Raw, um, SmackDown, and also bringing in from NXT um, to make two divisions work. Um, so whilst I was saying female division currently working one division, I think there's enough depth in terms of tag teams um, to make it work across Raw and SmackDown. Yeah, I think um, uh, I, well, I, I agree on a couple of points. Number one, I see the women's division on Raw. I see a cruiserweight division on SmackDown, which is why I think talents like Ibushi would be fantastic over there. Uh, I'll tell you another guy that I think could find himself in, at SmackDown, and that's Zack Sabre Jr., um, I mean, the, these these are th- this this cruiserweight classic. I mean, you look at the bracket; there is some really really talented guys on this thing, um, and a lot of them I think could be featured in SmackDown and and could be a good draw for the show. Um, so I, I I agree on that. I also think it's almost necessary for you to have two tag team divisions if you have two world titles, uh, and there's enough there's enough tag team depth. If you're bringing up guys from NXT, which I think you're going to have to, um, I think American Alpha is going to have to come up. Um, I'm almost certain we'll see the revival on SmackDown. I think it'll be absolutely, the, yeah. I think it'll be the perfect place for them if if what you and I are talking about actually happens over there. Um, and so, uh, you know, I I agree there. Uh, I do have one question though before we move on, and that is the question of Dean Ambrose. Dean Ambrose right now is in a situation where he is. Uh, I, I don't expect him to be here for much longer. Let me put it that way. I'm trying to be nice because I love Dean Ambrose. I do. But I think Dean Ambrose tripped, slipped on a banana peel, found himself in this situation now because of Roman Reigns being suspended. And I just wonder, is this brand split bad news for Dean Ambrose on the show over the long term? Well... <sighs> It, it, it could be. I mean, obviously, if we have two champions, um, then, um, you know, he could get lost in the shuffle if uh, he's drafted to SmackDown, for example, and they try and create a more work rate orientated um, kind of product. Because as talented as he is in the ring, um, there are others on the roster, Rollins, uh, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, AJ Styles, Nakamura, who are more talented and uh, he'd struggle to stand out against guys like that in the ring. Um, but what he does have is that kind of personality side to it. And so, I mean, kind of countering what I was arguing earlier, um, you know, in that regard, he perhaps would be perhaps a bit more suited to uh, SmackDown, but you don't want, uh, so, sorry, more suited to Raw, but you don't want um, SmackDown to be too full of people that are great in the ring, but then when it comes to talking them into the arenas um, in terms of might work and personality um, for there to be perhaps a lack of that over on the SmackDown side. So I, I think that he would be a, a good balance to some of those that are perhaps uh, more noted for what they can do um, bell to bell than what they can do on the mic. Um, so I don't think you'd necessarily be lost in the shuffle. Um, I don't think it should be any worse for him than the current situation. Um, if anything, it might be better for him because clearly when he came up against um, uh, Brock Lesnar earlier in the year, 
Um, that, that was really not good for his career whatsoever. And I think he's done actually well to um, come back from that and build some momentum behind him. And um, he's he's not been a bad champion, um, but I think a lot of fans still struggle to accept him as a champion. They still see him as an in, kind of interim type of champion that um, has kind of been in the right place at the right time. And uh, once um, you know the dust settles, the brand extension brand split um, has been completed, um, then it might not be too long before he loses his title. And certainly, if he's a champion um, on Raw or SmackDown beyond SummerSlam, I'd be hugely surprised, but strange things have happened. Yeah. Okay, listen, before we move on to the Cruiserweight Classic, we have, on July the 24th, WWE Battleground coming up. Uh, you and I have not had a chance to talk one-on-one yet on this podcast about Roman Reigns' suspension. Uh, this was a, a shocking um, announcement, which occurred several weeks ago, after Roman Reigns ate the pinfall clean to Seth Rollins to lose the WWE Championship. And as everybody knows, in a few minutes later, Dean Ambrose cashes in the money in the bank and he walks out with the title. Now, after doing some extensive research, Google, I was able to discover that Roman Reigns had not been defeated clean by pinfall in a one-on-one confrontation since FCW in 2012. Wow. That's how long really? that's how long it has been since Roman Reigns lost clean via pinfall to anybody. Goodness. So it 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 appears to me that him losing that way to Seth Rollins was completely WWE's way of saying you threw your spot away and you are going to be punished for this. So it it shocks me when I see the way that Roman Reigns has been treated by the company in terms of his character and how it's been treated since. I think the best example of this is that he will still be involved in this triple threat main event at Battleground. Um, I respect Roman Reigns for how he handled the situation. Um, He took it like a man. He apologized publicly on Twitter, and that was that. But I understand many fans myself included, who have a problem with WWE's treatment of this guy after the way he's handled this situation, well, and the way he's been suspended, and in the way the fans have received him before this suspension. I don't understand what WWE thinks the reaction to him is going to be when he comes back. But if they anticipate it to be anywhere close to a babyface reaction, much of which he hasn't been receiving for over a year in many cities that he's been in, and on Monday Night Raw almost every single week, and they've gone to great lengths to protect his character as well. I'm just not quite certain what WWE is thinking here. So I want to get your thoughts on this, Mo. First of all, on Roman Reigns' suspension, and secondly, on whether or not you think they still should have kept this triple threat match at Battleground. Well, the way the whole um, situation with him panned out a few weeks ago, where he dropped the belt and um, it was a big surprise to everyone um, the way in which that went down. Um, it all made sense a couple of days later on the Tuesday when it was announced that um, he had um, violated the wellness policy and would be suspended for 30 days. Um, I, I think that WWE handled that well. Um, you could argue they could have handled it better in that they knew he'd failed it before the pay-per-view. 
and um, they decided that he would have to go ahead with um, his his match against Seth Rollins. And um, obviously on the show, he, he dropped the title and uh, uh, Dean Ambrose cashed in his money in the bank and um, emerged victorious with the title by the end of the night. Um, so, so, so that, that, that was certainly a interesting way that that all panned out. You know, it, it, it's, it's one of these situations though, where you've got to wonder why they've been very secretive about the exact circumstances behind the suspension. And, you know, sometimes with these things, um, they are quite transparent and, um, you know, the details are shared other times they aren't. And on this occasion, um, everyone is very, very quiet and, uh, you know, nobody's saying anything about the exact reasons why. So it could be recreational drugs. It could be, um, you know, PEDs, uh, PEDs, um, who knows? And, uh, you know, certainly if it's recreational and, um, particularly hard recreational drugs, um, that would certainly make him look very, very bad, especially given, um, how the company likes to market him towards um, the younger members of the fan base and um, certainly would cause damage. And, and I think there could be some uh, mileage in, in that kind of line of thinking because they clearly have intentions of uh, protecting him and have always protected him, even when all common sense and logic says that you know he should be turned heel and he should not be um, retained as a baby face. But they've refused to do that because um, they want him to be another face of the company, almost like the successor to John Cena. And obviously the talk in the past few days is that John Cena might be looking to take on a less hectic schedule, um, to spend a bit more time at home, and um, almost become a part-timer himself. Um, so if that's the case, then something like... Uh, Roman Reigns would perhaps have to grab um, that role and take on that mantle um, that John Cena has um, admirably uh, filled over the last 10, 11 years. Um, but in terms of how WWE has handled it, um, I, I think it was a difficult one. I, as soon as they went public with the announcement and they had to go public with it, um, they couldn't then not acknowledge um, the fact that he had been suspended. Um, you could argue, well, if they knew that this was going to happen, why set him up in the first place uh, for a triple threat match? Why not perhaps run an injury angle whereby uh, Rollins or even someone else lays him out and then he's out for a few weeks from a storyline perspective? Um, but yeah, I mean, as you point out, once he's back, the reaction certainly won't be um, that of a babyface nature. He's going to get booed even worse than he normally is. And um, it will just make him and the company uh, look bad because um, you know there will clearly be even more reason to boom because of uh, the wellness policy failure. Who, so let me let me ask you this: who who is more who is more responsible for the the Roman Reigns experiment not going according to plan so far? Is it Roman Reigns who bears the majority of the responsibility because he has been uh, incapable of getting over as a babyface, or is it WWE? who should bear the, the blame and the responsibility here because they are trying to present an inorganic top star to the fans out there who, for whatever reason, are not accepting him, whether it be 
because of the type of character that he has or because of the way he looks or the way he talks or can't talk or because they feel like he hasn't earned it, whatever the case may be. Who's more responsible for that? Is it WWE or is it Roman? For me, it's overwhelmingly the WWE. Um, you know, I, I listened to your um, discussion with uh, young Brad Gilmore yes. um, on the last episode of this uh, podcast several weeks ago. We had a very passion, uh, passionate debate about Roman, and um, I, I tend to agree with him in a way that I think he's quite hard done by. I, I don't think it's necessarily Roman's fault that um, he gets the reaction he gets. And for me, there are several factors as to why he gets the reaction he gets. Um, the first of which is um, he was not Brian, sorry, Daniel Bryan at the Royal Rumble 2015. Um, you know, even if it was the rock that kind of came out um, as a surprise entrant in that match and he won it instead of Roman Reigns, uh, instead of Daniel Bryan, um, I think even he would have been booed. Even someone like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, the crowd on that night desperately wanted Daniel Bryan to win the Royal Rumble um, and they were absolutely devastated and angry that he didn't win and was eliminated earlier on. And uh, they were just furious for the rest of the show. And it could have been anyone that got that reaction. Uh, but prior to the Royal Rumble 2015, Roman Reigns was not getting those kind of reactions whatsoever. And it's important for people to remember that. So this was a one-night thing where you had all of these hardcore fans, um, WWE's most hardcore audience, all um, there. And their, their darling, Daniel Bryan, didn't win the match. And it was... Uh, Roman Reigns that did and so they booed him because of the simple fact he wasn't Daniel Bryan that then carried on um, you know th there is a greater element of copycat um, reactions um, for TV crowds you know especially at Raw and um, that was again in evidence at the WrestleMania where um, fans hoped maybe something might happen whereby by the end of the night Daniel Bryan might somehow win the title, however unlikely that might be. Um, and then that didn't happen. And um, they love the fact that another one of their favorites, Seth Rollins, happened to screw Roman Reigns out of the title, which only intensified that dislike, um, which had just you know, emanated out of the Royal Rumble. And since then, I think the WWE has to take some responsibility for the fact that the material they gave him prior to that WrestleMania um, and then afterwards in terms of promos was absolutely hideous and awful. It didn't fit that kind of character whatsoever. Um, uh, you could almost see it in his eyes that, God, I'm being asked to, you know, recite and regurgitate this material that I would never in real life speak or say in a million years it's not him uh, i mean it's uh, it's it's like it's like i said when brad and i had the debate on this show is yeah, that yeah. it's not it's not authentic yeah i mean like and and i don't think that's i agree with you in a sense that i don't think that's roman's fault because roman's just taking his marching orders and being a good soldier but it doesn't i mean it's 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 a lot of wrong place wrong time but at the same time i don't understand how the company can't get it well, that's right. Um, but at the same time, you have to give a little bit of blame to uh, Roman Reigns as well. And the reason for that is going back to a point that CM Punk made um, 
on the Colt Cabana podcast, uh, the infamous podcast, um, some 18 months, two years ago, whereby he talked about how um, talent sometimes are scared to uh, go against the company's wishes. And, you know, CM Punk was famous for um, speaking his mind. If he felt that uh, creative or anyone else in power were trying to take his character um, in a direction that he wasn't comfortable with, um, he would say, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to say this. I don't want to take part in this. And Roman Reigns doesn't strike me as that type of person. And I think that, you know, he needs to be a bit more assertive in terms of saying, look, I have this kind of particular character and the material that you're giving me to read out tonight in a 10-minute promo doesn't fit with who I am or what I'm supposed to be. So give me better material than this. I'm not going to say any of this. And he needs to stand up for himself in that respect. And until he starts doing that, um, he'll be continuing to fed with um, poor third-rate material to recite promos. And um, and that's his own fault. If he, I mean, you it know, is. The, the point you're illustrating is perfect because it's his own fault. If he's not going to stand up for himself and his character, I mean, you know, it's it, it's funny. Shawn Michaels was actually a topic of conversation uh, between me today and uh, and a friend. And when we were talking about Shawn Michaels, you know, the point came up. Hey, listen, Shawn used to ne- say he was never going to lay down for anybody. Now, <laughs> now, 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 is that the best approach? No, it's not. But Shawn Michaels had a Hall of Fame career. And for at least half of that career, that was his attitude. Sometimes you have to say no. You have to be willing to say no. Well, that's right. I mean, Sean Sean had some massive insecurities um, when he was on top in the WWF, as it was at that time, um, largely because of Vince's size fetish. Um, you know, Sean was lucky in that the WWE... Well, sorry, WWF at the time had to go on this um, big crackdown for uh, you know physique enhancing drugs, which resulted in numerous larger talents leaving the company um, over a short space of time, which largely left he and Brett as the um, top guys in the in the promotion by late '92. And so, through that set of circumstances, you know he then became. Uh, a top guy by default almost and once he became a top guy um and the company for a two or three year period tried to become one that was more focused on you know um, in-ring action because so many of its bigger personalities had moved on uh, largely because of the steroid issues um that was playing the company at the time um he he was quite protective of that position and didn't want to lose it um fearing that at some point Vince might decide, well, it's time to bring all the big guys back. And, um, you know, that's why he became a prima donna um, because, you know, he was always petrified about um, the bigger guys coming back and taking his spot. And, um, you know, Roman Reigns has to have that same kind of attitude. Obviously, in terms of size, he's got nothing to worry about. Um, But in other ways, he has got things to worry about because this roster is becoming full of very, very talented talents uh, who are over with the audience. And, you know, in terms of being over, you know, you could argue he's not even in the top 10 or 12. And for somebody who wants to be the new John Cena, that's not a good position to be in. So he really needs to think long and hard about what he wants to be um, in the grand scheme of things in the WWE 
because this whole thing just isn't sustainable. It's just not good for anyone. It's not good for him. It's not good for the company that, um, you know, if he's presented as the face of the company, he gets these overwhelmingly negative reactions week in, week out. And it's not even a kind of, um, it's not heat either. It's not, it's not, it's not heat. He's not getting heat from the crowd. No. What he's getting is hate. He, it's, and there's it's a difference a different... between the two things. It is. It's different to the kind of reactions that John Cena gets, whereby that's almost uh, kind of ironic. Well, you know, because you used to be booed, John, we're going to boo you, but actually we quite like you. You're, you know, you're a really good talent. You're a legend of the company. We now. respect you. Indeed. But I don't Indeed. feel like the fans respect Reigns. That's right. And <laughs> what kind of um, is frustrating about that for me is – I think he's actually a really good worker and I think he's come on in leaps and bounds over the last 12 months. And, you know, some of his matches since WrestleMania, um, especially on the bigger shows on the WWE network, I think have been really good. I mean, his two matches against AJ Styles were superb and the way he carried himself, um, he really came across like a, a bona fide superstar. Um, but the dynamics are all wrong because um, whilst he's adopted this tweener character, WWE needs to go all the way in turning him heel. And the added irony of all of that is that if they went full-blown heel with him, he probably would get cheered by the, the male audience that are the ones that are 90% booing him. So, um, you know, they, they've almost got to um, play, play this um, game of psychology with its own audience to try and ultimately get them to cheer him. Um, Which is never going to work. Well, no, because that would mean WWE trying to almost accept defeat against its audience, and they never, ever like to do that. So, um, you know, we're, we're probably going to be stuck with this, um, like we were stuck with um, the whole John Cena booing thing for all these years. And it was only it's only in the last couple of years that fans have actually started to accept Cena for the great talent that he is. And... You know, it's a shame. I, I think Ro Roman Reigns is a, is a great talent. Maybe not on the mic, uh, but certainly in the ring, I think he is. And, uh, you know, one of the things that Paul Heyman famously has talked about is about accentuating strengths and hiding weaknesses. And it's clear that, you know, partly due to Roman's not being a fantastic promo, but also because creative can't write suitable material for him they should limit the time he spends on the mic. And, you know, it's not rocket science. Um, you know, everyone doesn't have to go out there um, cutting 10-minute promos. You know, some people can come out there, cut very short promos or not speak much at all, or even have others speak for them, lo and behold. Um, and, and you can still have an effective character that way. So there's plenty of different ways to, you know, keep characters um, popular, um, without exposing them. Um, but the WWE just um, has been way too stubborn about this situation. And for me, they've got to take most of the blame. Though I think Roman has to take some of it as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think there's shared blame to go around. But um, uh, what I will say is that if if, if something doesn't change there, uh, it, they, they are going to, I believe, ruin him. I think, I, and, and that that's what concerns me because I agree with you when you say, uh, he's a good talent. He's a he's a good he's a good worker. I mean, what, Roman Reigns um, hasn't been just carried by AJ Styles in their matches. 
Uh, I mean, Roman Reigns has, I mean, that, that matchup that he had uh, late in 2015 at Hell in the Cell with Bray Wyatt was outstanding. It was a match of the year candidate for me. So this is a guy that can deliver on the big stage. It's not really an issue. of. I mean, even his match with Triple H at WrestleMania wasn't bad. It was it was a good match. It was a good main event. It was people were distracted by the way the crowd was responding. And, and, and I'm sorry, but I know there are people there are defenders of WWE who are going to claim and they're out there who toe the line. Um, I debated one on this show just a few weeks ago who towed the line on some of this crap. And I'm sorry, but it's not the fans' fault when a talent isn't getting over with the fans. You can't blame that on the fans. That would be like me. You know what? That would be like me saying there are people in, in, in my country, to use a political analogy, who don't like Donald Trump or don't like Hillary Clinton. And my response would be, well, well you know what? The problem must be with you. You know, you must be the problem. No, yeah. it's it's not that at all. It's an issue of personal preference. There's no right or wrong. And the majority of the crowd, they personally do not prefer this version of Roman Reigns. And that's not going to change. WWE has to make the change. They're not going to change because you tell them that they have to change. And that's the thing that's frustrating is eventually um, whatever opportunity you may have to build a real organic star here with Roman uh, which you have to do first as a heel, uh, will be gone. That window of opportunity will close because you will ruin this talent because you, being WWE, are too stubborn to realize that your audience is not accepting. They're not buying what you're selling right now. Well, indeed. I mean, even if they want to think, okay, our live audiences at the tapings are perhaps not representative of the wider audience. They only need to look at their ratings. And right. you know, even since the end of the NFL season, uh, when ratings should have picked up, um, they haven't. I mean, they've been having some all-time record low ratings in the you know, last few weeks up until uh, the end of Roman Reigns' title reign. And you know, these are other numbers that they cannot ignore. So all the evidence says that he has just been a failure as champion. And I don't think it's because of him himself. I think it's because the way he's been presented has been all wrong. And, um, you know, as, as, as we've just pointed out, the WWE has to take much of the, much of the blame for that. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. All right, well, let's move on to something that's, um, that I think will make both of us happy. Then well, let's close the show out on this. The cruiserweight classic is underway. Last night was the first, or when you listen to this, which will probably be tomorrow, so two nights ago on the WWE Network, the cruiserweight classic uh, made its debut. Uh, the week before that, there was a bracketology show, uh, which highlighted all the talents that will be competing, and it was hosted by Mauro Ranallo and Daniel Bryan, who are also calling the action on the network for the cruiserweight classic. Uh, you got a chance to watch uh, the first episode. I got a chance to watch the br- Bracketology episode. And um, I think we both have some highlights we'd like to touch on. So let's start with you, Mo. What are some of the things that have stood out to you so far about uh, this network special? Well, the first thing I really liked is the fact that they've tried really hard to present this as different to how they normally present their WWE programming. Um so clearly they filmed this at the same studios as NXT. Um, they had a quite a distinctly different setup in terms of presentation with um, the entranceway, the ring, um, where the announcers are sitting. Um, so all those little touches, which all combined 
um, helped to create a different feel for the show. Um, they also had handshakes as well, um, similar to Ring of Honor um, at the start of the matches. And at the end of the matches, um, after the pinfall or submission, um, both um, talents would stand either side of the referee um, and the winner would be announced and uh, have their arm raised in victory. Um, so even something little like that, as inconsequential as it is, is a, is another little thing which just says, okay, we're trying to do something different here. Um, the commentary style as well with Mara and Lalo and uh, Daniel Bryan, also you know, noticeably different to how um, the commentators normally um, call the matches and um, interviews and segments of Raw and SmackDown. So that's also been quite pleasing to see. Clearly a lot of research has gone into um, the backgrounds of all the talents and you know, a lot of them I even haven't heard of. Um, you know, they're from all around the world. Alejandro Saez from Chile. And, uh, you know, you've got other people like Fabian Aichner from Italy. You know, all these guys I've never heard of. Um, I have heard of most of them. Um, and, you know, they've got some fantastic talents, some real high flyers like... Um, uh, uh, Jack, Jack Gallagher is from your neck of the woods, actually. He is, yes. Um, I think... I saw Jack um, live earlier this year, I think, and uh, yeah, very technically sound, very, very um, good on the on the mat. Um, not really a high flyer by any means. Um, very much like Zack Sabre Jr., who's arguably the most talented technical wrestler in the world. Um, right. Very, very highly respected is you know, Zack. You, you know, the reason why I like them both, I'm glad you brought up Zack Sabre Jr. as well, is because they're a different kind of cruiserweight. You know, when, when you think cruiserweights, you think a lot of lucha work. But if, if you look at those guys, and specifically Jack, talking about him for a minute, I mean, he is a technical mat wrestler. This guy is a lighter, springier William Regal, you know, and, 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 and I love it. And I, I think it's great because you have that sort of variety and diversity in this tournament that if you haven't watched a lot of cruiserweight wrestling, you may not have seen before. Well, that's right. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, it might be hard to imagine that some of the more high-flying type of um, talents on this uh, 32-man tournament will be able to mesh well with the likes of Zack Sabre Jr. and Jack Gallagher, but um, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. I mean, I saw a match uh, a few months ago, I think from WrestleMania weekend, where Zack Sabre Jr. took on uh, Ricochet. I think it was on an Evolve show, yes. and uh, that was fantastic. Vader's favorite match. Oh no, that that was Will Osprey against. Oh, Will Osprey. Okay, my, 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 yeah. bad. my bad. Um, but yeah, Zack Sabre Jr. <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure I've seen him against Ricochet this year, and uh, that that was a really impressive match. And uh, you know, Zack Sabre Jr. showed that you know he doesn't just have really good matches with fellow um, Mac technicians, even for those that like to take their offense to the air, um, he can have great matches with them as well. Um, so, you know, even when he has to face um, somebody like a Grand Metallic or um, uh, Lince Dorado, um, I think he'll be quite impressive. Yeah, uh, 100%. And, you know, well, I think one of the biggest highlights for me of all this, uh, wrestling aside, has been the work that Mauro Ronaldo and Daniel Bryan have done together. First of all, Daniel Bryan is a natural. Um, and, I, and I know that uh, he would much rather be wrestling He'd probably much rather be competing in this tournament than calling the action. But um, he is a natural at this. And he and Mar create this 
this vibe for me that reminds me a lot of a UFC on Fox. And so I'm, I'm impressed by this. And I hope that we see something similar to this on SmackDown, this type of presentation, this type of, as you, as you brought up earlier, the idiosyncrasies, the, the, the small little subtle, um, uh, deals, you know, like so, something like I'd like, I, I'd like to be brought back to professional wrestling full time. Like, uh, the following contest has a 15 minute time limit, you know, just little things like that. Yeah, that that, yeah. that that add layers of kayfabe back to the product again, which I think w- would help, and and I, I certainly think it would would help on SmackDown, and it's definitely working uh, on on the Cruiserweight series. The entire presentation of it, all of it, feels very different, very exclusive, uh, very new, very outside the box. And you know, it's funny. Just a couple of years ago, WWE was in a position where they wouldn't even acknowledge another wrestling promotion that existed outside of the WWE universe. And now they are acknowledging all of them, with the exception of TNA. Well, that's right. Yes, uh, <laughs> and that's just as well. Um, but <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's really good to see. And you've got to give credit to Triple H. I mean, you know, he's the brains behind all of this, and he's been the real driver for all of this. You know, he's a he's. We know that he's a massive wrestling fan. He's been one since childhood, and. Uh, you know, he's open to welcoming all types of different styles and, uh, you know, talent from all around the world. I mean, even from places where I didn't even know it had wrestling, as I think Daniel Bryan pointed out um, at the opening of um, the first episode of the Cruiserweight Classic. Um, but, you know, they've scoured, scoured the planet for um, talents from all over and, you know, put on this tournament. And, you know, there's some fantastic workers on this. I mean, Akira Tozawa and um, Kota Ibushi, as you pointed out earlier, a magnificent, you know, arguably top 20 workers in the whole world. Um, they're so, so um, impressive as uh, in-ring workers. And then um, you've got others like uh, Zack Sabre Jr., um, who, you know, as many people have now talked about, is one of the best technicians in the world. Uh, Drew Gulak as well. Um, you know, competed in Evolve and in CZW as well, longtime veteran of that promotion. And you've got some um, more familiar names like some Brian Kendrick mm-hmm. and Tajiri as well. So it's quite a nice balance, nice blend of experience and youth and styles. And, um, the, you know, the, all the first round matches are actually taped, I think, last month. And um, the second round matches have been taped this week. And, um, you know, it's all going to culminate in um, about nine weeks' time with um, live finals on the WWE Network in mid-September. And I'm really looking forward to it. And as I mentioned earlier, I hope it's not a one-off thing. I hope it leads to something with the creation of a fully-fledged cruiserweight division because I think by the end of this 10-week um, series, I think fans will be clamoring for a lot more of this. Yeah. Um, so a quick question about this. Uh, do you think the Cruiserweight Classic will be a better tournament than the Euros? <laughs> it shouldn't be that hard to uh, <laughs> trump the Euros. That was quite a disappointing tournament, not least because England um, once again underperformed. But, uh, yeah, I, I think this will be really, really good. I think people enjoy it. So, um, yeah, by all means, if... if um, you know, you're um, slightly nonplussed by the direction of Raw uh, at the moment, then, 
if you want something that's very different and refreshing, then check out the uh, Cruiserweight Classic because, uh, you know, it's going to be nine more weeks of fantastic entertainment on the WWE Network. Great. Well, listen, uh, this would normally be the section where we have questions, but uh, we had so much to cover and get caught up on that uh, we couldn't get to questions this week. I promise we will next week and that we will be back next week. And we're hoping to have our friend on the Anfield Index, Dave Hendrick, join us next week on the program as well, because he has some things he'd like to get off his chest. And uh, we'd love to have him back on the show. So with that being said, our final thoughts, anything you'd like to, to plug, Mo, or anything that's uh, coming up or that uh, folks in the U.K. and the wrestling scene uh, should look out for? Well, um, I've got an appearance on a show called Sports Lounge um, on Sky Channel 845 Live this Saturday morning in the U.K. at 10, 10 a.m., um, and that's where I'll be recapping UFC 200. Um uh, for some listeners, you might be aware I've been a long, long, long time UFC uh, fan and follower um, and have written about UFC and MMA as a reporter uh, over many years as well. Um, so I'll be recapping their historic UFC 200, which I thought actually was one of their worst shows in a long time, unfortunately. Uh, but I'll be nonetheless talking about that and um, also a variety of other sports as well including uh, football, and it might be one or two mentions of a certain Liverpool football club as well. So, uh, you know, if you have got nothing else on, um, 10 a.m. Um, on the Sportsland channel, 845, um, you can check me out on there. Awesome. Well, congratulations on that, and um, I'll have to try and check it out. I, 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 what, do you know if they'll be replaying it on, on the Internet or anything like that? Um, possibly I'll have to find out about that, but if they are, I'll certainly, um, send out a tweet or something just yeah. to let everyone know how they can keep, uh, keep an eye out for that. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Well, um, how about you, Matt? Well, you know, I, I have actually a really cool announcement to make. I can't make it yet, uh, but hopefully I'll be able to make it within the next week. So, uh, just keep following my Twitter. It does involve myself and, uh, and Liverpool. So it's, uh, wow. it's actually surreal. It's a surreal, surreal thing, but I will be able to announce it soon. So just uh, follow my Twitter um, and and hang tight for that. Um, other than that, I have a big show coming up this weekend. If you're in the Texas area, if you're listening to uh, this podcast in Houston or the surrounding area, Reality of Wrestling's returning to the World Gym Arena this Saturday night for another live TV taping. Uh, tickets are still available at realityofwrestling.com. And then, this is huge, on August the 20th, we return... For Summer of Champions 3, this will also be from the World Gym Arena in Texas City, Texas. We have a lot of big surprises and special guests planned. And one of those has been announced already, and that is Olympic gold medalist, WWE and TNA legend Kurt Angle will be on the show and will be joining us. And I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, and then in addition to that, I'm doing a podcast five days a week all the time. We just celebrated our 200th episode and that is Your Opinion Doesn't Matter with Brad and myself. And you can find out more about that at OpinionPodcast.com. So there it is. Awesome. As, as always, thank you, Mo, for joining me. It's great to be back. And uh, we promise we're going to start doing this every week again, everybody. So <laughs> we're getting back on schedule. Uh, with that being said, as always, thanks to guys for the platform. And we will be back next week right here for more PWI.
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.